Hello and welcome back to another episode of the CareerCast. In this episode, I'm joined by Drew Nearman. Drew is a GTM lead at Capstorm, which is a product that is sold on the Salesforce App Exchange. Um, he goes into detail a little bit about Capstorm, but we really talk about his career change from speech pathologist into the Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, Drew gives a lot of tips and things that he went through during his career transition. So really excited for you guys to hear his story and how he kind of made the change into the, the tech field um, as, as well as Salesforce. Hope you guys enjoy and don't forget to like and subscribe. Welcome back to the CareerCast. I'm joined today by Drew Nearman. Uh, me and Drew met back at uh, the beginning of October, I think, or the end of October at Northeast Dreaming. Uh, he was at a booth for Capstorm, which is an interesting product, which hopefully we can kind of get a high-level overview of. Um, but I really want you guys to hear Drew's uh, career change and how he got into the field that he's in now and you know all of that that goes with it. So, Drew, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so how to, let's start with Capstorm. Okay. Um, and for lack of better ways, get it out of the way, not to sound like. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it to... over with, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So tell us about Capstorm real quick, and then we'll get into um, kind of your history. Yeah. Here. Yep. Sure. Capstorm is a Salesforce data management platform. Uh, we specialize in giving customers, Salesforce customers in particular, a pathway to own and control their data. And we do that by giving them control over things like backup point-in-time recovery, DevOps, integrations, warehousing, and governance and compliance for sensitive data. How long have you been there? Uh, right at six years. Uh, I got the, the old anniversary coming in about, let's see, 26 days to be exact. Where they send you out a, a nice card. I know at Higher Echelon. I, I wish. It was, um, <laughs> before I was at Higher Echelon, I was at uh, Accenture Federal, and that, you know, obviously that's a global company, right? So it's like... Um, or at least a century is sorry, a central federal's um, U.S. based, but you know they're not going to be sending personalized stuff. But working in a higher echelon, it's a little bit more. Uh, it's a lot smaller, family friendly kind of feel, sure. and they like they'll send you cards on your birthday and your anniversary. And the first time I experienced that was like that's pretty cool. Oh, it's kind of yeah. I thought it was exciting, but I was also like <laughs> I didn't. It was uh, like how'd you guys get my yeah, address? You don't like, know obviously, me. They, <laughs> like <laughs> obviously they have it, but I was like. Oh man, it's really this is really cool. Um, how was Capstorm your first introduction to Salesforce? Were you in the ecosystem before that? Uh, yeah, it's it's fair to say that Capstorm was my um, yeah, that was definitely the first the first start of it. Um, I had actually started doing Trailhead at the advice of uh, one of the co-founders uh, several months before I I joined the Capstorm team. And then, so you said you've been there for about six years. Uh -huh. Did you, getting into kind of this field, is your background in technology, cloud, anything like that? No, not at all. Um, in fact, I, I joke with um, uh, some of our salespeople sometime that at the time that I graduated from my undergrad, worked a couple of years, and then went back to graduate school, it was less than a two-year period. And that's when... Um, like Google Drive and Docs and Sheets and all that stuff came out. So by the time I had been out of academia for two years and came back, I was totally lost on uh, like collaborative document work. And I had to learn that um, just after being out of school for two years. So no, I had zero background in technology, cloud, 
sales, CRM, anything like that at all. Yeah, I was. Uh, I spoke with uh, Eric Dreshfield recently, and uh, he was also at Northeast Dreaming. But he was telling me when he went through. I asked him the same question, uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I, was, I did computer programming in school, but that was so long ago that those languages are dead, so it's irrelevant." <laughs> yeah, that that, um, and I think I've known Dreshfield for a while. I think he was. Um, didn't he do some nonprofit work or something too? I feel like he did. Before he yeah, I think that's Salesforce. what he got. Yeah. He um, yeah, his story is interesting. And I, where he's at now is somewhere I think is um, a lot of people uh, aspire to is like going out on your own, mm -hmm. right? You get the experience and then um, being able to leverage the network that you build. Um, speaking of network, is that – did that come kind of natural to you? When I spoke to you at Northeast Dream and you're obviously very – calm and collected and like you're used to that kind of engagement with dare I say strangers mm -hmm. um even though Salesforce is cultish where it's like you know you're in Salesforce it's like oh we're probably really good friends um but is that is just to get a little background on your yourself there is that a thing something you had to work on or is have you always kind of been naturally like personal yeah um that's a really good question um my boss and I were having a conversation today, and I uh, I sometimes refer to myself as a chameleon, um, and I, did, I gave him the analogy of, you know, like, you know, back in high school, there was, like, the jocks, and then the music kids, and then, you know, they're the, the guys that were playing hacky sack at lunch or whatever. Um, I did all of that, and so uh, I ran cross country, I played, played music, um, I just did a little bit of everything, and I had some friends in every group. Um, for me, that's, it's, it's always been kind of fun to be that way because I can talk with anyone. Um, and I don't think that that's a, um, like, it's not because I'm great. I've just, uh, I, I don't know, I guess God kind of just made me that way. Um, but the frustrating side of it is, um, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um. And uh, maybe, maybe I'm a little hard on myself there, but you, you know, you, you get a little bit into many, many different things. And I look around at, at some peers and think, wow, you went so deep in that one thing. I wish I would have done something like that. So um, it's a bit of a roundabout way of answering your question, but um, it's always been innate to who I am uh, to connect with lots of different people um, and try lots of different things like an inch deep instead of a mile deep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like. I'm kind of similar in the the same way. It's like I have a lot of interests, and I would guess that maybe at first glance, uh, people wouldn't assume that I'm a big Harry Potter fan and a huge like Lord of the Rings, and I, I like love fantasy and stuff like sure. that. But um, yeah, just that's, that's a cool background on yourself. Um, being a chameleon, I like that. Um, so tell us about your first career. Because you are a career changer. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, so my my story, um, I think of it as kind of interesting. It's it's been all over the place. Um, it it kind of started my senior year of high school. Um, we had a career fair in the gymnasium, and the guidance counselor was like, "Yeah, you need to pick three booths. There's going to be a different uh, professional. <clears throat> it it like 50 different booths." And I remember going to her office and saying, "Hey, look." I don't have a clue what I want to be when I grow up. And she's like, most people don't like, just, just pick three, just write down three and do it. Uh, so I walked in 
and I, I think I just did like three consecutive booths so I could just get it over with. Like whatever I stopped at, I did that one, the next one, the next one, and then left the gym. And it just so happened that um, the first booth that I sat down at was a, uh, a speech language pathologist. She had a picture of a, um, which basically looks like an x-ray uh, of a side profile view of someone doing a mod modified barium swallow study. And it's, it's a common um, procedure that stroke victims will have when they, when they lose functionality in their neck and face or the ability to like for their brain to program sequential movements. Um, then they start aspirating or choking on their food and getting pneumonia. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh, that looks pretty cool. So you help people uh, like my grandma who had a stroke and has trouble swallowing learn how to swallow again. It's like, yep, that's it. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. So I went home to my parents said, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. And they're like, yay, you were so glad you finally picked something. And uh, I stuck it out. I went to school for six years, um, got my master's degree and um, did that for about two years and hated it. So, <laughs> and then I made some changes. So there's the first little bit of it for you. I think that's all the, it you went through all the schooling uh and it's like such a thing that people miss out on it's during those six years you never considered this like yeah i don't really know if this is gonna land and then when you actually get into the the business of it and stuff you're like yeah this is this isn't gonna work that's right and i i should say that for anybody who sees this that the the version that i'm giving now is obviously the abbreviated version i did four years of undergrad um, there were roughly 60 applicants to the, the master's program. Uh, they can only accept 13. I did not make it the first time. Um, and so I worked for two years. Um, I, I got married, worked for a couple of years, and kind of just had this moment where I was like, all right, I got to stop acting like a kid and start acting like a man. Um, you know, just thinking about we could have a kid someday and I really want to, you know, set myself and my wife up that such that if we have start having children, like I'm helping us get to where we want to be um, instead of like just, I don't know, floating around um, almost like playing, if you will. So um, yeah, that, that had a lot to do with the decision to go back to graduate school. The interesting thing about it, um, is that, let's see, um, in my second year of graduate school, we got pregnant. And so I still had, at that time, I would have had about 13 months left of school. And so we knew we were going to have a child while I was in, in graduate school. Um, my wife, Hannah, at the time, she's a registered nurse. She's working at the hospital. And we, what we decided to do was we're going to live on one income. Uh, we're going to get a really, really cheap apartment. We're going to save one income and use that to pay cash for my master's degree so we don't have to take on any debt. And then we're just going to live live off of her her pay. And um, you talk about difficult. That was really, really hard. <laughs> uh, we were living 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 the college life on the on the college dollar. Um, had a kid, our first our child uh, first child, our son. And then uh, I started working about five months later. What was that? Looking back at that now, it's it's easy to laugh about. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, man. Like getting pregnant not at the wrong time, but yeah. at like a time where it's like coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, obviously, it sounds like you guys weren't planning it, right? Yeah, um, it, yeah. It's it wasn't. Yeah, I like how you how you worded it. It wasn't the wrong time, but like it from a from a strictly financial perspective. people on the outside looking in could say what were you thinking um (laughs) to which i would respond hey it was a surprise we didn't we weren't planning this um but uh man it it was so fun um i had uh at the time i thought i was busy you know being a student in graduate school (laughs) and doing clinicals like an internship but it wasn't that bad um I was really glad to not have to do homework anymore, but um, it was it was also awesome to start our family young. Uh, we we didn't plan mm. to do it that early, but we did want to have a young you know, like start having kids when we were relatively young. But I'm so thankful. Um, I wouldn't change a single thing about it. But there was a there were some times where um, I like to say we were so so Poe, we couldn't afford the second O and the R um, because I wasn't <laughs> even working yet. Um, but we we found a way to make it work. Um, had so much fun. Um, and it really, uh, it pushed me to be a better man. Um, you know, had had some pressure to go and take care of my wife and son now. Um, we worked so hard to get through graduate school and not take on debt together. And um, and then when I got out, it was like, oh, finally, now I can hit the ground running. I'm a speech pathologist now, so let's let's get to work, and um, now I can kind of take some of that burden off of my wife and and allow her to be home with our son. Yeah, that's a good segue into like the Salesforce ecosystem from a um, career perspective, sure. and just for the listeners or, or viewers, I I can't remember if I talked about this or not, but I got into Salesforce in a similar way. I was going to school um, and my wife and I, she um, found out she was going to have our first child, which was also a boy. Um, and I panicked to the point where it sounds like you were like, here's what we're going to do. You know, we'll live off one income. I panicked and was like, I need a job. I like in my brain, I was like, cause I was at, I was out of the military at the time living off of um, BH, which is uh, basic allowance housing. Uh, living in Austin and it was, yeah, I panicked. So I reached out and again, this is God's grace where I, the people that I'm people that I didn't um, lean on before that moment were willing, you know, they were there at that time to help me. Right. So uh, Nolan Melson, uh, my mentor, he was one of my old lieutenants uh, told me about Salesforce. And there was this, um, foundation. It was Maribus foundation back then. And they, they trained people in Salesforce. And again, I'm I'm like, what is Salesforce? And again, I was so panicked. I was like, he could have been like, nah, you're like picking up dead bodies. And do I was like, sign me up. Like I, I need to go. And luckily it wasn't that. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got into Salesforce and where I'm getting on this long winded kind of response here is, um, Salesforce is an opportunity you know, cause we're, we live off one income now still like with our two children, uh, we have a third on the way, but getting into oh, this kind of re- remote career alleviates that stress to some degree. It can, it, it certainly helps. Um, about, um, <clears throat> when I first started here at Capstone, there was a massive knowledge gap that I was just going to have to be in person 
with my leadership for a while to learn Salesforce, to learn databases, and to learn business. Um, but as I began to learn my craft, where I physically was when I was working became less and less important. And so I felt incredibly fortunate. Like when, when COVID came around, um, the net impact to my career was zero. Um, it had zero impact on my travel, um, whether or not I went into an office. Uh, and you know, I had very dear friends who were struggling big time um, because of, of how the, the pandemic impacted their career. But I, yeah, it's the remote work culture has been a huge blessing for our family as well. Did you lean on, once you got into Capstorm, did you lean on uh, kind of your coworkers for kind of like some knowledge transfer? Was it all trailhead? Was it, uh, did you take any courses? When yeah. I first started, um, I had to sell, well, I started out as like handling renewals um, because it was a lower risk activity, right? I was brand new to the ecosystem, brand new to business, brand new to selling, to data technology, CRMs, et cetera. And I knew absolutely nothing. I mean, just nothing. And so I started to learn about the product and the technology and what it did and how to talk about it. I learned tons and tons of lingo and I had to learn to speak it the right way because I would eventually end up speaking to uh, senior level, you know, white collar uh, leadership, uh, C-suite and SVPs and stuff like that. So there's a lot of learning a, a new language that I had to do. There was learning to use the technology and like migrate data uh, into and out of Salesforce and give demos and give presentations. So much of that stuff, uh, not necessarily communicating, um, but learning the tech stack, I just had to spend a lot of time with our founders and developers and, and my colleagues um, learning how to sell. What is listening to you talk about, um, I just keep going like you were a speech pathologist and it's like, how, what, how much of that carried over? Like zero, so I would say zero yeah. outside of like soft skills that you've acquired. But like, I, I yeah. just love the fact that, you, you know, you're going from speech pathology where you talk about, yep. I mean, you mentioned the story about the stroke, uh, your, was it your aunt or your grandmother, yeah, my grandma. like learning how to, so I was like, never, it was like, you have that? And it's like, tell me about a database real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there are a few things. I, I've thought about this many times, what carried over. The primary thing that carried over was learning how to learn. Um, no matter what you study or what skill you acquire, it takes practice to learn. Same thing with shooting a basketball, same thing with hitting a baseball, playing an instrument. You just have to practice. And the interesting thing about going to, to graduate school in my field was there was a lot of neuroscience. There was a ton of anatomy and physiology. There was a lot of like uh, disease or um, pathological specific terminology. So I had to go deep. I had to um, internalize very large amounts of inf uh, information and learning how I learn as an individual uh, was very important. I learned in, in graduate school that I'm a visual learner. And if I can think of things in pictures, I will never forget them. But if I have to do it all verbally with written text, 
I just can't absorb the same depth or amount of information. Um, so that, that was critical in learning how to be not just a seller and a business person or a technology consultant, um, but someone who can communicate deeply technical ideas to a business stakeholder. Um, so that, that was really important. Another thing, um, another thing that carried over was research. So I had to do a decent amount of statistics to be able to, to write a thesis and analyze data. And I didn't really realize this until about three or four years into the job. But when, when we would start to ask business questions and I got more involved in like leadership team stuff here, um, I noticed that I had a very, uh, like a knack for getting clean answers to difficult questions. And it's because I had to study how to do research questions and how to collect data in an unbiased format and then interpret the data in an unbiased format. And that's a skill that's really difficult to do uh, when you're solving problems that haven't been solved before. So those are two things um, that are major. And that's, I would say like the minor thing is just learning how to communicate. Uh, if you're thinking about changing a career, um, don't do it cold turkey. Like it, if, if possible, I mean, not, there are always extenuating circumstances, right? Exceptions to every rule. But something that helped me is that um, my mentor at the time um, happened to be the owner uh, of Capstorm. And I went for a walk with him one day. We were walking in the woods and he could tell I was frustrated just talking about my career and, and just like difficulties. And, and so what, what are you so frustrated about? And I said, well, the pay is terrible. And um, he said, well, what are they paying you? And I said, like 35, 40 grand a year. And he literally stopped walking and his shoulders slumped down, jaw open, eyes big. And he said, that's pathetic. Um, and he said, come work for me and I can double that in your first year, I promise. Your first year, I promise. Um, and I was like, there's no way. There's no <laughs> way that's true. Uh, so I called uh, uh, someone... Uh, my colleague now, her name's Rebecca, um, called her. She worked at Capstorm at the time. And I said, hey, is this real? Like, is this true? And she's like, yes. Like, he's not, he's not, um, it's not smoke and mirrors. It really is real. And you can have a successful career here. Um, so what I started doing, um, I told the owner at the time, I can't just quit my job. Like I need to finish out this semester because I have a lot of little children who are depending on me showing up every day to do their speech therapy. And he said, that's fine. If you do an hour of trailhead a day for three months, you'll be a rock star. Those are his exact words. And I said, I think I can do that. So what I would do is when one of my um, clients or students were sick uh, and they didn't show up for therapy, I would log into Trailhead and I would knock out a, a, a badge. And so by the time that I had um, gotten to Capstorm, I already had maybe like 25 or 30 badges, just enough to get an idea of what, what does CRM stand for? What's a data model? What are accounts, contacts, opportunities? What's a deal? What's a sales process? And um, I think the, the nugget of wisdom here that I sort of learned through that is you have to always be learning. And if Drew Nearman had had kind of just gotten comfortable and not pushed himself 
starting at Capstorm would have been so much more difficult. But because there was some like self-study, just even just like three hours a week for three to four months ahead of time, I came in knowing a few things that gave me a little bit of confidence. And I think that um, if you take that, I'll always be a learner mindset and you apply that no matter where you are, what you're doing, how old you are, whether you plan on retiring or starting, a, you know, entrepreneurially starting a new job. If you're always learning, opportunities just seem to present themselves, I guess I would say. So anyway, any thoughts on that? No, I think I would agree. You, can, you don't want to cut cold turkey if you don't have mm -hmm. to. Uh, I'm actually going through this right now with my, my mother-in-law because she's in a career uh, in healthcare. And I'm easy. She got her, she passed her associate's uh, certification. Right. So, you know, she's been working for a while and now she's, I'm pushing her towards uh, studying for a business analyst because I think that's where she can bring the mm -hmm. most um, benefit to a company, right? Because that just leads into, you have to be strategic. Mm -hmm. Where can you fit in, right? And leverage, you know, she has 20 plus years in healthcare. You know, that, in my opinion, and I would love to get yours. That would be more in a, a BA type role rather than trying to go into like an admin role, right? Which is more not uh, like all behind the scenes, but it's very tech stack specific. Know. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so um, I had, I said, I wanted to share a bit about that transition into Capstorm because um, I think what I hear a lot of people doing is like talking ideas they're ideating out loud but they're not actually taking steps to make a change and um it's kind of a like i don't know it's almost like stroking one's intellectual ego like one day if i ever get the chance then i will fill in the blank but if you're not doing those small things today if you're not doing you know showing up for batting practice and and getting the base hits then the likelihood of just hitting it out of the park is really really small um, so I think those those daily disciplines and always being willing to do self-study and, and being a lifelong learner. Um, if you look at the people who have, you know, in the world's eyes, a really successful career, they're always those people. They're not someone who's sitting on their phone, you know, playing Candy Crush or whatever, whatever the latest app is. Um, so. Can you give the listeners and viewers a tip on, you mentioned uh, selling. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but there's like a common, uh, what is that? Uh, always be selling. I can't remember the name of the movie, but th that being a skill in of itself, mm -hmm. do you have a quick tip for somebody that maybe is in a new role and they need to sell or at least speak knowledgeably about a product to a C-suite? Um, I guess I would say not knowing anything about it. I was like, know what your product is. Like it makes it easier. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I think of, knowing your product that's kind of like you have to eat food to live like if you, if you don't know your product you cannot succeed um i would also let's see i think that it's incredibly important to be consultative and to be honest with your prospect so uh, i tell our sellers all the time if you go into this call and you're talking 90 percent of the time you're failing at your job if you go into this call and you leave and they spent 90% of the time talking, you're succeeding at your job. So you have to be curious. You have to ask really 
good thought-provoking questions because a lot of times um, in the world that we live in, a prospect has come to their very first sales call 80 to 90% certain that they already know what they want to buy. They've looked and researched five vendors already. There's a team of 12 people behind the scenes that never get on camera that you have no idea who they are. And if you don't ask questions and truly understand their business and not what they say their requirements are, but the why behind their requirements, you don't have a chance. Um, so you, you absolutely must ask questions and do your best to understand your buyer. Um, and you have to be honest. I've, I've earned a lot of credibility um, on initial calls just by saying, you know what? I don't think we would be the right solution for you, but I know this guy over here, you should go talk to him. Um, or I don't think this is the best way to solve this problem. I'm not going to try to tell you that you need to change the entire scope, but here's another idea that you might want to consider. So it's being truthful to the prospect, even if it means um, losing a deal. Uh, like you, there, there is a temptation in sales to be sort of like sly and sneaky, like a fox. Um, it doesn't work because you'll you'll get found out if you do that. It just it's just not worth it. I like that. Be honest. Yeah, you have to be. I would imagine that's how I'm the same way. I'm not afraid. You know, just being like, I have no idea, man. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it takes some. You got to curate that response a little bit, but yeah, being able to, you knowing what to say when you don't know. Um, and have I think you brought up a good point. Having somebody in like your back pocket and being like, "Well, I know this individual. You know, we might not be a good fit, but you know, let me pass along." And then it's they reciprocate, right? Um, yeah, I've gone so far as had, to uh, refer very, very large enterprise contracts to competitors, um, just because we want to put our customer first. And if it's not a good fit, let's say, "Hey, it's not a good fit." Drew, I uh, appreciate all the advice you shared. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, last, always, you know, well, recently, <laughs> uh, open it up to the guests, you know, to plug anything going on. I know um, you had mentioned Rebecca. Uh, she actually was on the show and she uh, runs a user group. So yeah. if you do anything like that, if you have an event coming up, maybe Capstorm is going to be somewhere. I know uh, World Tour in New York's happening. I know there's something going on in New Orleans, you know, uh, this is open to you to plug or bring awareness to something. Yeah, sure. Um, we're for the remainder of this calendar year. Uh, we won't be doing much on the road. We're, we are considering just maybe flying one or two people up to um, World Tour, but I do believe uh, you can find us at um, Trailblazer DX early next year. Very likely DC World Tour, a handful of the uh, Dreaming events, and probably at Dreamforce as well. So. We do like to get on the road, uh, meet our customers, and and shake it up with um, the the, sh the Salesforce community. Uh, do keep an eye out. Uh, we're going to be launching some new products in Q1 of next year, so I expect a lot of that stuff will be popping up on our website soon. If you're interested, if you're going to be at Texas Dreaming, let me know, we uh, might. and we'll try and meet up. Yeah, we might be there. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> we're we're it's that uh, end of the year budget time where we're deciding on events and kind of up in the air right now but absolutely no thanks again Drew. you got it man thank you so much for having me